You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Chris. Oh, and I'm Annie. <laughs> <laughs> Annie forgot who she was. Uh, or Annie forgot she was involved in this whole process. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in this episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorites of Lost Girl, Death Didn't Become Him. Lots of docubus goodness. <laughs> As a spoiler warning, there will definitely be spoilers for the plot of Death Didn't Become Him. There could, could possibly be some spoilers for the entire series. You know, we're just, we're just talking. Who knows what we're going to say? So beware those who have not seen the entire series. There may be spoilers ahead for you. I'm not planning on it, but we just never know what'll come out of Annie's mouth primarily. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you for covering my butt. (laughs) For the drink special for this episode, I decided to go with a milkshake, adult milkshake-like drink called a Bushwhacker, mainly because it has coffee liqueur in it, and Tori kind of looks like she died, so that's what I'm going for here. It might be a little more obscure than usual. So there's, there's a lot of variations on the Bushwhacker. The one that I went with is half ounces each of coffee liqueur, amaretto, dark rum, coconut rum, Irish cream liqueur, and vodka. Combine all those in a blender with about three quarters to a cup of ice and you blend it until you get like a milkshake-like consistency. There are other variations that include like cream of coconut and chocolate syrup and things like that, creme de cacao to make it a bit more chocolatey. But I feel like, you know, anyway, any way you want to do it, this is a pretty delicious but a bit deadly drink. So Annie, this was a pick of yours to talk about. So please, please share. I think we have a good guess already, but please share. What is it about this episode that you is love so much? Is it the so thing much? she already mentioned <laughs> in the intro? <laughs> because it starts and ends with the best, best with the best bits because they're girl bits and they're bumping, <laughs> you know, bumping lips. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think they call that I, kissing. The kids oh, might yeah. call it kissing. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a phrase that way before. <laughs> I feel like Annie wants it to be dirtier than it is, and therefore she's using the phrase bumping lips. I mean, she's making it sound real dirty. <laughs> but it just because they bumped everything in 206, <laughs> and I wish there was more in 208, but it's so conflicted, and... But it's still, I, I just remember, this was, I remember I was watching 206 in the middle of a whole huge run, because I watched Lost Girl seasons one and two within about a week and a half. So uh, we'd finally gotten to, you know, we got into this one, and this is when the whole Docubus stuff is ramping up, but oh my god, Lauren has a girlfriend, but it's a popsicle. Oh, excuse me, she's a popsicle. <laughs> That is terrible. <laughs> She's a popsicle, not it's a popsicle. Well, popsicle is still pretty terrible. Still, but go on. It's still <laughs> it's terrible. It's that way in fandom. It's it's not just it's not me. I didn't make that up. <laughs> didn't didn't they call her Podia? Oh, oh yeah. really? I never heard mm-hmm. of that. I think she's I in a pod. That. It's Nadia in a pod, so it's Podia. <laughs> I like it. I really, really like the Faye of the week and the kind of mission they that Bo and Lauren go on, and you know how it ties into. You know, Bo and Lauren and, you know, Bo being just, there's, Bo is just like too good for this world. (laughs) Because she's like trying to support Lauren and I'm like, I wouldn't be like that. I'd be like, nope, I got here and, you know, you're with me now, Lauren. So, oh no, 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 I'm just going all over the place. But I don't know. Bo is just incredible (laughs) in this episode. So. I I do agree that Bo is incredible in this episode. It's like, she's so supportive. So strong. And I, I don't know how she, but I love Anna's expressions in this episode because there's so much that she wants to say that she can't, but it's still, it's still in there, um, in her facial expressions of how much she still feels for Lauren on a personal level, but she has to put that aside to help her because that's how much she loves her. Yeah, I feel like that's the big emotion that you get out of the Bo and Lauren scenes in this episode is just conflicted. They both just seem so conflicted. And mm. it's it's pretty great. I like that we get that first scene where Lauren has snuck her into the compound and Bo's kind of like, yeah, I said I would do this, but I'm really having second thoughts about it. I don't know that I want to meet your girlfriend. <laughs> like, she clearly feels a little, maybe a little jealous of Nadia. But just through the entire thing, she is 
so clearly, you know, Nadia and Lauren, they need my help. That's the right thing to do. And I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. It is sort of like it, it at best is awkward. And at worst, it's a little jealous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I always find it funny in that first scene when, you know, Lauren's like, but I, I really need you to meet her. And, and she's right there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like they're talking as if Nadia's like three rooms away. She's right there. You bet she's listening. Just like the camera just sort of pans over and it pulls back, and you're like, oh, they're having this conversation like a foot and a half from her. <laughs> Not even. If, if Nadia were awake, she would be like, guys, I'm right here. I really need you to meet her. Please turn 90 degrees. <laughs> Have you guys see? This is why I said the popsicle thing. Have you guys seen the fan art and credit to the artist when it's Lauren's like meet Nadia and she's holding out like a blue tinged popsicle to Bo? That's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I, that's where I got the popsicle thing from. It's so. terrible fandom. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like even starting in that first scene, Lauren is just so utterly. I don't you just never know exactly what Lauren is is going to do in this episode. I feel like she's very internal, but Zoe Palmer does a good job projecting how conflicted Lauren is on you know, on her face, with her face, her great face. It's a wonderful face. <sighs> it's a great face. <laughs> and that that great lighting in the pod room, it doesn't hurt mm-hmm. either. But I I love that greenish lighting. It actually looks really good on both of them, weirdly. Yeah. yeah, it's like neither one of them should look as good as they do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of not fair, but they both look really good in that scene. Speaking of which, I feel like maybe I just haven't watched Lost Girl in a really long time. But as I'm watching this la- this episode, I'm like, damn, everyone on this show is really attractive. <laughs> I know. The, the I had beautiful that same golden lighting. <laughs> I'm the one who put that note in the show notes. Because I'm like, what? what is going on? I'm like... I mean, I knew everybody was, like, super attractive. I knew. But going back, it's like, this is... What is what is up, everybody? Everybody's, like, super sexy in this episode. What is going on with their faces? It's uh, something... I don't know. There was something on the craft ta- service table that week. I don't know. But they all look really good in this episode. That's <laughs> true. There was the infamous ab-flashing shot. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> but <laughs> That was a great noise. That beautiful golden lighting for Canadian TV shows, or at least this show, I was just like, oh my god, I forgot how gorgeous it was. And it makes mm-hmm. the gorgeous people look even gorgeous as her. So. <laughs> I, know, I nominate I, that for best word ever. Gorgeous as her. <laughs> uh-huh. I, 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 I realized that I had come to really miss this fantastic lighting that we got in season two. It felt like in seasons, mm-hmm. especially four and five, it was so dark all the time. It's like, why are you hiding your lovely, attractive cast? Stop it. <laughs> look how, Don't look how wonderful they look. Don't hide the darkness sex. <laughs> Annie has her priorities unchecked. Anyway, mm-hmm. going back to, to Docubus and, and as well as how wonderful they looked. So we, we have, I think you have like the, the three really conflicted moments. You have that first scene and then we have the lipstick scene. <gasps> <laughs> and he's like, you said the magic word lipstick. <laughs> they didn't bump lips in that scene, but it was so close. <laughs> I know. Oh, I, I love that scene because, you know, it's like, we don't know what Lauren is, you know, what comes out of Lauren's mouth is obviously different than the emotion she's feeling, I think, mm-hmm. where she's like, I don't know what I, what I do without your, and I hate it when they friendship. swerve the last, your friendship. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, it's not a friendship, Lauren. But. This episode is so fanficy, though. Like, when I, was, uh, yeah. I was, as I was listening to the dialogue between Bo and Lauren, I'm like, this is exactly what Lauren would say if this were a fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> to prolong the angst. <laughs> I know. It is. It's very, very angsty. And then it, we got to that point. I'm just kind of like, this is why Annie wanted this episode. Mm-hmm. I know. It's yeah. fanfic angst. I can't believe it's been a while since I'd watched that scene. And, you know, I forgot when Bo goes all pretty. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, who does that? But unless you're in love with her. So, and then blot and eye sex, eye sex, eye sex. You know, who, who does that? Like, keeps direct eye contact as they lean forward to blot on a tissue. Oh, so just just say it and bump everything again. Please, Lord and Bo. 
I mean, Nadia's there, but she's sidelined. So, but oh, well, she's not in the much. room at that point, so that would be less yeah. awkward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not turn ninety degrees. Here's my choice, girlfriend. She's on the couch to your side, and maybe down a foot, <laughs> taking a tour of the of the lab, <laughs> and a foot and a half to your right, and down about a foot. You you'll find my. My frozen girlfriend. <laughs> Lauren does know how to woo a woman, doesn't she? <laughs> Put him in a bag that smells like feet. Wheel in. <laughs> I, I'm actually, I feel like Bo, it could have smelled a lot worse than feet, is what I what I think yeah. whenever she says that. <laughs> At least it doesn't feel like decomp or smell like decomp. Well, I always wonder, it's like, how do they shoot scenes like that? It's like, do they just say, hey, Anna, hold your breath for about five seconds while we get you on camera, and Zoe, unzip it really fast so that she doesn't get oxygen deprivation. So well, there's there's still some oxygen in the bag. It's not like it's airtight. I know, I know. But still, uh, I once heard a story from an actress on Xena where she was like on another like CSI type show, and she's like, oh, this body bag I'm in is... Is it okay? Is it clean? They're like, oh, yeah, it's only been used once. So I really hope that was not the case. <laughs> they had a new body bag for Anna Silk. <laughs> but going back to the, to the lipstick scene, that scene is just, it's so fraught. And you know, there's, you know, there's the, the <gasps> eye contact and, and then there's the connection between the mouth and the kiss and the tissue. But then I'm like, why? <laughs> and I don't put it that way, Stephanie. <laughs> scene right like you know yeah, yeah. they can't kiss but this is the this is as close as we can get you know <laughs> but i i just it makes me sad how unsexy the word blot is <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so close to making a joke earlier when Andy was like blot isaac isaac <laughs> like, those those words don't go together they don't true <laughs> Well, Blot I mean, Anna pulls it off with word. as much aplomb as she can muster. So. She tries. She really does. And that's, I mean, what else was she going to say besides blot? It's such, <laughs> it's such an unsexy been, word. I know. Yeah. Should have been a I love you in there or something. Okay. Here, bump your lips against this. <laughs> so I can bump my lips against it later. <laughs> So, you know, I'm keeping that tissue and pressing it mm-hmm. in a book, and I'm going to oh, take yeah. it out next time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's a fanficky thing to do. Because it smells like you, Lauren. She carefully folded the tissue and placed it in the back of her pocket. She had plans for it later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she, she probably tucked it into her bra where she tucks oh, everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, Good yeah. Point. To keep yes. it close to her heart. Keep it close <laughs> to her heart. Right over her heart on the left side. Yes, I have read a Xena fanfic like that. <laughs> I'm sure. So can we go back to the blot? <laughs> Would you be blot happier away. if it was like more than one word? Like if it was in a sentence, not necessarily the word blot, but you know, that's all she <laughs> says is one word. Like if she said a whole sentence, like, let's bump lips. <laughs> <laughs> blot your lipstick on my lips? Is that what you want? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, would, would that have been better if instead of offering up the tissue and saying blot, she leaned in and said blot? <laughs> exactly. I think Annie would have preferred that. <laughs> Here, blot your lips on my face. <laughs> you know, I want your face on my face, as Chris always says. So uh, something that struck me about that scene, though, is that felt very much like they couldn't have that angsty, conflicted, we're lovers, but there's something in the way type of scene. That's not the type of scene that they would write for a male and a female character. It's like, it's very much a a two women type of scene, right? Because there's not that many men who would know like, oh, she needs to blot her lipstick after she put it on. And it, that's kind of what struck me when I rewatched it recently. It's like, oh, that's really like a specific to particularly these two women is, is that moment. And I thought it was very sweet. Well, I, I wouldn't know to blot the lipstick, so I'd be like, just but put Bo your would. face on my face. <laughs> okay, yeah, Bo would. Bo yeah. would, because she's that type of girl. Like, I'm not either. I wouldn't think to do it either, because I don't wear lipstick, but Bo does. And yes. that, is, that is something she would know that Lauren, at that point, would probably need to do, would be to blot her lipstick. As soon as she says it, I thought, oh, yeah, people do do that, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but did you, I, I don't know, I think it's because it's been a while since I've watched Lost Girl, I was like, wow. I was so impressed by, like, did you, did it seem like Bo's eye makeup was darker in the earlier seasons or? 
Did you find that? I found that it was less liberally applied, which I enjoyed. I mean, it was still great, but yeah. I think like seasons one through four, I can't remember now what we decided before. It just like, it it got progressively more aggressive. Yes, like (laughs) more toward her brow bone and just bigger and yeah. Yeah. I, I really like her season two smoky eye look mm-hmm. that she's got i think that's probably my favorite <laughs> bow makeup of season two i couldn't i couldn't remember because yeah i remember you like season two stephanie but i couldn't remember the phrase just now that's why i was like smoky eye raccoon eye i was gonna say raccoon eyes but i knew that was wrong <laughs> so no <laughs> incidentally and weirdly smoky eye one of my dad's favorite phrases it would seem anytime <laughs> there's like an actress with a lot of the makeup he's just like he's like look at that smoky eye and i'm like where did you learn this <laughs> So we have we have the first scene with the the girlfriend who's ninety degrees to the to the left. We have, we have the lipstick scene, and then we have that ending scene. What the what, Lauren? I feel like that is not fair. What what? Well, yeah. okay, I, I had a bit of that when I rewatch it this time because when I first saw it, I was like, yes, in the second and third and the tenth and the twentieth, but. When I, it'd been so long since I'd watched this episode all the way through without the, without just the documents bits <laughs> that I was like, I did have a little bit of that. I can't believe she did that because it's like, was being so understanding and the best person ever. And, you know, I, I do love that line that Lauren has at the, at the opening scene where she's like, if someone I cared about and slept with yeah. <laughs> told me that. <laughs> I had a girlfriend, but she was being in a she coma, was in a coma at a secret fa- facility. Yeah, <laughs> by a secret society of uber humanoids to- called the Fae. I think it was a blow off. That line's very meta, but I do think it works. Where it's, it's so they're like, okay, we recognize how absurd this is, but really, look at her frozen girlfriend. She's ninety yeah, degrees. Ninety degrees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> but I-, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I was watching the episode again this morning, and I was like. Oh, that's that's a little unfair, Lauren, to do that to Bo, and because she's so, she's obviously has still so many feelings for you and is so in love with you, and she's doing everything to help you, but you know, and you guys still have all this stuff under the surface, and then you kiss her, and it's which is probably even, why she kissed her, but yeah. at the same time, it's such a big signals kiss. I know it's such a complication, but not that I would ever say anything bad about Lauren. It's just. She, what she did made it even more complicated because feelings are run amok in this episode and Docubus stuff is really complicated at this point in the season. And kind of most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, however, even though me personally, I could step back and be like, okay, Lauren, that was kind of not cool because it sends Bo really mixed signals. I think we also can understand where Lauren is coming from, right? You, Bo is being so great. We can see that Lauren the entire episode feels really conflicted about her feelings for Bo versus her feelings for Nadia. So I think we know where that kiss comes from, even though maybe mm-hmm. ultimately we think, oh, not fair, because Bo's trying to be so cool about this whole thing, and that just really makes her more confused. But I think Lauren is just as confused. Mm-hmm. Right? It's true. As I say, like, it's not fair, but at the same time, can you blame her? Because <laughs> Bo's <laughs> you know? being so great, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, she's being so great. I like her so much. I get it. I get it. But also, please control yourself, Lauren. <laughs> no, don't. Unless don't control I- yourself, Lauren. <laughs> don't control yourself, Arapo. <laughs> I was going to say, unless you're a document shipper, in which case you say, no control, Lauren. Absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> free reign, Lauren. Free reign. Especially when you're looking as hot as you are in your button-down blue oh, shirt. Oh, God. Button-down. <gasps> oh. Yes. No, but that is one of the best. Yes. Because it's with the blue lighting. Yes. And, oh, yes. She's got the, it's like, just... the camisole underneath that reveals just oh, enough yes. cleavage. It's perfect. <laughs> you just took all the words out of my mouth, Stephanie. No fair. That's okay. And in this episode of Lust at the Doll. <laughs> I, I have made no secret of my love of women in button-down shirts, button-up shirts, technically. But anyway, she looks great. Anyway. <laughs> if I were Bo, I would have done. I would have kissed her there instead. First, going the the shirt, <laughs> lips on lips. <laughs> I would have gotten out of that little... body bag and be like, "You're wearing the shirt." So, 
love that little grunty noise you just made, Annie. <laughs> 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 my, my, my drinks at the doll does not come without sound effects. My docubus love, shipping love does not come without sound effects. <laughs> now I'm picturing Bo just like, here, here, apply some lipstick and then blot it off on my face. <laughs> <laughs> blot. <laughs> Terrible work. <laughs> but what I, I like about the end scene is that <laughs> it's so funny because it's such a surprise to Bo, but then she just kind of relaxes into it and she goes, oh, I'll take it. You know? <laughs> I mean, poor thing. And I, I love that but, where they cut it off. I love that jo- Zoe made that choice to like step back from Bo and just look uncertain. And yeah, <laughs> it, no. I thought it, it ended in a really great spot. But the fact that the next episode opens up with them, like, Bo trying to, like, talk to Lord about it when they run into each other at the doll, it makes you think, how the hell did they get out of that room? You know, like, <laughs> this awkward kiss thing just happened. Did Bo, was Bo just like, okay, bye, and ran. And turned like- on her heel and ran off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna jump back in that body bag. Yeah. <laughs> and wheel myself out. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna just gonna do like a um a bobsled thing and just like <laughs> build up some speed and just roll myself <laughs> compound. Just jumping jump it's in like the body bag and zipping up as you're rolling down the hallway. <laughs> Thank you for that image, Chris. That is delightful. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <sighs> but seriously, right? It's such a TV ending because you're like, okay, how the heck did they get out of that situation without saying anything? <laughs> then in the next episode, they're having to be confrontational about what happened. <laughs> I will, I will accept my head cannon is now that <laughs> Bo made like a bob sledder and just. <laughs> <laughs> <out of there. laughs> the thing is, I wouldn't put that past Bo. <laughs> It's funny because it's like, you learn all this stuff about Lauren and about Nadia at this point in the series, so you wonder how much was she conflicted with balancing her feelings for Bo versus her feelings for Nadia at all this time. Yeah. But it's hard because it's like, how do you, I always wonder, it's like, wow, how would you do that? How would you hold on to the love for Nadia through five years and research and all of that, and then have this person that comes up that you know, upends your life and gives you a look outside the world of your servitude and, you know, and yet... That's all the guilt involved. Yeah. yeah. And then right after Nadia comes out of the popsicle, they're kissing away, almost like Bo doesn't exist. You know, that scene is so painful in masks when Bo comes up and sees them. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't know if I could make that kind of an emotional jump if I was Lauren. So, but you see the beginning of it here. Yeah. Well, and I think you see later on, after Nadia has been awake for a while, you do see more of that conflict within Lauren about Mm -hmm. being like physically intimate and and loving with Nadia when she so clearly still has feelings for Bo. Uh, But I think that moment in masks, probably she's just so relieved to Mm -hmm. she's awake Mm -hmm. and she's okay that she allows those emotions to sort of take over. Because I think it's clear, even though Lauren has developed feelings for Bo, she still has a love for Nadia. And maybe it's different mm-hmm. and it's changed since she's been in a coma, but she still clearly has a lot of love and affection for Nadia. Because, I mean, the whole idea is they were still together when that happened. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, if you, if you have a close relationship, regardless of what kind of relationship, I feel like if you're really close with somebody, you know, you can pick up at any given point and that's you true know, yeah still have whatever connection you had with that person before yeah because i i do think about the fact that you know back in season one when lauren sleeps with Bo the first time you do kind of wonder did lauren get to the point where she just accepted that she wasn't going to ha- get nadia back and she yeah, kind of I wondered about that opened herself up to maybe loving somebody new when Bo came along mm-hmm. But now in season two, she's getting this like chance that maybe she could actually finally save her girlfriend. And that is just making the situation more complicated. Mm-hmm. Lana says, I wish the actress that played Nadia had more screen time. Ditto. Me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Athena Kachanis. Mm-hmm. I might but be she always, mispronouncing uh, her last name. Did come out of the uh, 
bubble with perfect makeup and perfect oh, hair. She looks great. Highlights. <laughs> Wonderful yeah. dress. She looks great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no that muscle atrophy some, or anything. Yeah, I know that was some coma bubble. <laughs> Fake technology, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. or or mysticism, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know what's going on with our other podcasts. Our final Winona Earp Season 2 discussion is live on our multi-fandom podcast, Fanalysis. And Chris, Stephanie, and I discuss the final three episodes of Season 2. You can listen to it now and find out how to subscribe at askgenretv.com slash fan. I am mostly there to provide color commentary, just to make that That's clear. That's great! <laughs> <laughs> an, an uninformed opinion. It is true. <laughs> And also, Stephanie and I recently got to talk with the authors of the new book, The Science of Orphan Black, the official companion. Look for that interview on our Orphan Black podcast, Tatiana is Everyone. You can listen to that podcast and find out how to subscribe at tatianaiseveryone.com. Season 3 of Killjoys recently wrapped up, and we did weekly episode discussions on The Quad, which is our Killjoys podcast. You can listen to those episodes and subscribe over at askgenretv.com slash killjoys. And we're hopefully going to record an episode discussing Season 3 in its entirely entirety pretty soon. Entirely in its entirety. Entirely in its entirety. Okay, y'all... I feel like there's many portions of the plot of this episode where I have to suspend my disbelief a little bit, which is fine. Any episode of television, there's a little bit of that. But I feel like the biggest thing that I can't suspend my disbelief about (laughs) is the fact that there aren't more lick double entendre jokes in this episode. Seriously, there's only like one, and it's not even that dirty. I mean... (laughs) It's not that... Yeah. It's not that good in terms of the dirtiness. No! (laughs) There is a point in this episode where Hale says, Dyson said there's a lick in town, and Kenzie's only response is, what's a lick? No! I call bullshit! (laughs) Kenzie would have made some sort of double entendre about licking! (laughs) She would have! (laughs) I did have a moment where I'm just kind of like, oh, Kenzie's going to have a comment, and she didn't. And I was like, I I feel... I feel lost. I know. Up is down. Do you, mm-hmm. Black is white. Do you feel like a lost girl, Chris? I do feel <laughs> like a lost girl. In that moment, I feel like quite a lost girl. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if the original script was just peppered with all these lick double entendres. The neck was like, come on, writers. No, you got you to gotta <laughs> take them out. <laughs> it just feels weird to me that there's not more of those jokes. I sometimes do wonder. I'm just kind of like... Is it because, like, whoever is writing the episode or somebody in charge is kind of like, we're pushing the envelope in so many other aspects. (laughs) We're going (laughs) to dial it back in this one as a concession. (laughs) Yeah. So how do y'all feel about the lick, besides the lack of of jokes about his name? (laughs) I find him very over the top, mostly delightfully, I think. (laughs) Except except his hair bugs me. It's not the folly of party. As I, I love, it's such a Loretta thing to put like a Y on the end of everything, which I love. That's actually but, so Joss Whedon to put a Y at the end of everything. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, again, I am not the Whedonite, so I don't know. That is his um, legacy, putting the Y, putting a Y at the uh, end of words to make them adjectives, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I was laughing my ass off because I forgot about how he's got the overdramatic death scene where... <laughs> The overdramatic non-death scene. Yeah. His undeath scene, yeah. Yeah. Because then I get confused. I'm like, wait, what does he need to survive? Does he need the meat and the cheese? Or, wow, that sounds- <laughs> I just thought like he was going to say cheese. <laughs> no, I meant cheese. <laughs> From oh, his yeah. vessels. <laughs> so, does he need the human flesh and the cheese? <laughs> somebody, somebody started a Tumblr blog called Meat and Cheese. <laughs> Today's recipe is <laughs> roast beef, slice of provolone, just just a sousa, a sousa of chi, <laughs> uh, blue chi, not red chi. Um, because I got a little confused watching the episode because the because Gary took did he kill the groundskeeper for himself or for the lick or both when he took the physical parts 
of the, you know, Dyson says, well, he only took the sweetmeats, which, ew. Was that for the lick or was that for Gary took some, Gary took some off the side as well yes. for himself? It, it sounds like the way that Gary worked was he butchered humans for Faye who ate flesh and then he keeps a portion of it for himself. So I think he yeah. was asked by the lick to remove the sweetbreads from the groundskeeper and then he kept some of it, but the lick got most of it. Right, because he said that he doesn't kill them, he just butchers what's brought to him. But then, so the lick, but then he keeps his chi or whatever, it vessels to stay alive so he can mm-hmm. experience everything through all of his vessels. That's how he stays alive, But he so that's how he's lived for thousands of years. But... What what is the question, Anthony? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how the lick lives with the vessels and what that has to do with the meat, the meat and the chi, as you said. But <laughs> no, that's just where he keeps his chi safe, basically oh, okay. in a yeah. vessel, so it's not in himself. Yeah, was all it is. But to stay alive, oh, okay, to nourish himself, he eats people. His yeah. life spirit is in his his little group of. Of toadies. People. Dolls. His, dolls. Yes. His food is the flesh of, of human beings. Okay, okay, I got it. Yeah. But it was so funny because when he dies at the end, he's all folly a party and everything, and his eyes are all red, and his hair is even more, you know, the bang, but whatever. I just can't get over that. I'm like, it's so messy. From the first time I saw this episode, I'm like, comb your hair, man. But... <laughs> You know, he's got all his lines at the end with Bo and Lauren looking down on him. I felt, you know, the heat as Rome was burnt to the ground. I felt, I felt. And then he does the classic where he just dies mid-sentence and his head tilts to the side. And I just laugh my ass off because I was like, I forgot about that part. You know, what's also funny is is Bo kicks away whatever that big piece of meat was. But there was clearly some liver that was in arm's reach of him. Like, come on, you're just not trying hard enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I gotta say, I, I don't mind. I don't really think it's the actor's fault. I think the actor does a really good job as the lick being oh, I, I kind love of him. Yeah. delightfully over the top. But I do feel like those scenes drag a bit. I feel like it, they could have been edited a bit tighter or maybe just filmed a bit differently. I don't know. Well, do you think it's purposeful that it's he is so over the top? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. this show as a whole yeah. tends to be a little over the top mm-hmm. in a great way. Like, I enjoy the crap out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, speaking of over the top, I know that Annie hates him, but I love how gross Gary is. Like, he just leans into the grossness, and I think it's great. Well, I just, I totally shuddered because I normally don't watch that scene, although, like, without turning away a bit. And I watched it. He's like, there's no documents. I don't care. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And it's bloody and gross. It's it's safe for my eyes to not be on the screen. There's no bumping lips in this scene. I can look away. There's no bumping bits. There's only bloody bits. It's not fun. But normally I'm like, I don't know why. I just, I hadn't watched that scene like full on in a long time. And the part where he bit his finger off and it shows the close up, I was just like, ah, God, you know, it was just wrong. It doesn't so. actually show a close up of him biting his finger off. It shows, no, but a close it shows up- what's left and that's gross. <laughs> I don't know why it bugs me. It just does in this scene. But well, he's supposed to be gross, and he's really gross, and I think it's kind of fantastic. And I love the the way that the they did his makeup, where he's got like blood spatter all down his arms and stuff. Mm. I just think it's great. It's it's just one of those moments where I feel like the Lost Girl, both the writers and like the the costume designers and the makeup people, really paid a lot of attention to detail, and I think it's really great. Yeah, the production design on the show is. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I, I I just, I feel like that actor who's playing Gary does a fantastic job. I love when he, it, the one double entendre lick joke where he says, you know, not lick. And then he's, you know, sticks his tongue out and makes a licking motion. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's great. I love the way he does that. It's so disgusting. It's like, oh, you're so vile. It's great. <laughs> no, I do have to agree. That scene is classic Lost Girl with how gross Gary is. And yet, you know, yet another different kind of fae we're being introduced to that's just, uh, you know, it's such a lost girl scene and a moment where they're like, you're like, only in, you know, genre in this world would you get this kind of thing. That's why I love uh, the over-the-topness of genre television. 
And I and I do think it's great that we have Bo, who's played by Anna Silk, who is usually a vegan, threatening Gary with tofu. And that, <laughs> that's what gets him to talk. As a vegetarian, I, mean, I just, find that scene pretty funny. <laughs> not just three squares a day, four squares a day. Four. That's a lot of freaking tofu. That's a lot of squares of tofu. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> But something about the Lick storyline that I actually really appreciate, it's kind of a a little side plot, but I actually really like how much we get to see Donovan in this episode. It feels Mm -hmm. like oftentimes for these little characters of the week, you know, they come in and they get the story rolling and we don't really see them until the end of the episode. But I like that he had several scenes throughout the episode where we got to check in on like his grief and anger process. And I appreciated that. Which, I mean, kind of makes sense in that they set him up as being one of Trick's best friends. And it's interesting to know Trick's whole history now, because there was still so much mystery about it in season two, to know what he's referring to when, you know, he says, you know, he says to Donnie, you know how I ended up like this. So we can't let your, you can't just rush in all hot headed and everything because it has consequences. And yet again, this is another thing. It's what the cast talks about a lot with Lost Girl, where it doesn't matter if you're, a short person or if you're gay or straight you're married to a guy it doesn't matter it's just hey he's my husband and nobody cares about that point i think what what maybe makes lost girl different in that regard is the fact that even the lick who's the the villain of the episode even he doesn't have a adverse reaction to the fact that Kristoff has a husband to the fact that lauren has a girlfriend because mm-hmm. i feel like on most shows that's how you would mark this person's a bad guy is that they would be like "Ooh, gay people uh, but that's yeah, yeah. not that's not really within the lost girl realm it's just for everybody regardless if they're a good guy bad guy what have you in general it's sexuality sexual orientation is a non-issue So because I'm me, I'm sorry, y'all. I have to. <laughs> did you just apologize for being yourself? I did. I did. I have to bring up some like narrative stuff that I was thinking about when I was watching this episode in regards to the Lick storyline, because I feel like clearly the the Donovan and Kristoff storyline is a bit of a parallel between Lauren and Nadia, because you have you have Donovan who's lost his spouse and he feels like. He's, you know, he didn't get to apologize. There's some unfinished business between the two of them. And I feel like that that really does parallel Lauren and Nadia. But the thing that I found interesting is they didn't really use the Donovan and Kristoff storyline to have Bo come to some new understanding about Lauren oh, and Nadia yeah. or what have you. It's, mm. it, I don't mean that as a critique of the episode. It's just surprising mm. to me. Because that is what most shows would do. Like, that's... Yeah. That's how, in The Closer, she always solved her cases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> like some thing would show up in her in her personal life, and she'd be like, wait! <laughs> she'd have this moment of realization and run out the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in this episode, it's not, it, it's not there for that. It's kind of, I think, there to exist alongside Lauren and Nadia, but it's not really used to, like, teach Bo a lesson, quote-unquote, for the week. Well, for some reason, of course, I misread the notes as it's a parallel between Bo and Lauren, and now I'm all paranoid that Lauren is going to die in the future in a car crash. So, but you know that she's just, not. I, I know, <laughs> but the show is over. I know, but it could still happen, and now you I'm paranoid. Know how it ends? Tell my mind misread it. I don't understand so. how she's still paranoid. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> but the one thing I like about this episode that we haven't quite mentioned yet this is the first time we see Bo suck multiple chi Mm -hmm. and i love how i'll always remember seeing this for the first time even though i was again watching like five episodes in a row at this point i sat up and i was like oh my god what is happening when i saw Bo do that and i kind of freaked out and then but i was glad because she was also okay but i was still hoping for more you know, hurt comfort with Bo having been shot and Lauren taking care of her, but, you know, it kind of would not have been plausible since Bo was bleeding out. But anyway, I love that, that it's a point in the series where it's such an important moment that it's referred to multiple times later in the series. Lauren says to Bo near the end of season two, you know, do you remember when, you know, you suck multiple chi when the lick was about to kill me? And, you know, Bo says yes, and Lauren says that scared the hell out of me, and how 
Bo's lines are echoed even in the finale. I could be more powerful than all of the Fae. But I always mm-hmm. feel like this scene is a turning point, too. It's the first time we see how powerful Bo is going to become. That's part of the reason why I like the hints of Bo's upcoming storyline in this episode. Yeah, when I was rewatching this, the scene that sort of stuck out the most to me in regards to Bo and her bigger plot line was where the lick is telling her about when he was, you know, going across, I forget where he was, the Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, I think, and how he was searching for this and that, but he never found a succubus and he'd never got to experience that unbridled passion. And he gets really intense and Dyson kind of stops him as he lunges toward her and as I was watching that this time, I was wondering if what Bo maybe saw in the lick, or maybe what we as the audience are supposed to see in the lick next to Bo, is that, is this something that Bo fears about herself? Because, you know, the lick has just been consumed by his his need for knowledge and experiences, and he's become this monster who has these slaves and that follow him around. And is that what she worries about for herself? Is that kind of what she sees as a potential for her future if she gives in to what she feels when she feeds? Hmm. It's a very intense scene, actually. And I kind of on rewatch, I was wishing that they had used some closer close-ups in that scene. There's a lot of both Dyson and Bo kind of looking around the Lick's lair as he's talking. But in listening to just the dialogue, I'm like, wow, he's saying some really intense stuff to Bo. And looking at how Anna Silk is reacting to him, it's like, it feels like this is this is an important moment for Bo, but I don't feel like the camera work necessarily drives that point home. But then again, we see that later in the series, how so much of season three, Bo refers to herself as a monster. And right. that's always the push and pull of the series is Bo going, it's a double-edged sword, discovering about herself that her powers can save Lauren and save her life when it comes to the lick threatening you know, the one that she loves, but it can also overtake her and end up sucking the chi out of the whole city and then eventually the world if she's is goaded to the right kind of point. It's a very emotional type thing. Like, Bo tends to lose control when she's very emotional and at points of crisis. Because I feel like it's not a coincidence that when we meet the Lick, is the first time we see Bo tap into this really dark side of herself. It feels mm-hmm. like that might have been a purposeful on the writer's part to pair that moment with this particular character. But I could be reading too much into it. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> See the thing I, I wasn't necessarily thinking about that so much because in that scene my brain kind of stalls out at the part where he's lived this long life and has sought out all this knowledge and has apparently never encountered another succubus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my brain tells on that a lot too. How many How many are there then? Are there not yeah. that many? Mm. Well, no. I feel like that was a point they maybe made earlier in the series that there aren't that many succubus, but I could be, that could be a, a, a fan, a fanon thing and I'm just incorporating it into the show. I can't remember at this point. Because Lauren says at one point in the series that she studied an incubus, but not a succubus. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was, when she was talking to Aoife, Aoife had talked about other, like, chi-eating fae or, or yeah. something like that. Like, she, she indicated that there were others related to them, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as we know, that's the only other succubus that anybody has ever really talked about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, at that scene where the Lick has Lauren and Bo on the stage, and he says, there's one thing I've always desired, unbridled passion. I've never seen a succubus feed. And I'm like, wait, but you've been around for like, almost ever, and you still haven't found one? Was he looking for one this whole time? One wonders. So let's talk about the subplot with Hale and Kenzie. I felt like this is an episode where Hale actually had quite a bit to do in this episode. Yeah, probably more than he does for much of the first two seasons, even the third season, really. Yeah, I like how it starts off with like, you know, it kind of starts off with what typical Hale scene with him trying to smooth talk his way with the ladies and I, I know Hale's character we always wanted to see more character development beyond that but I love how he's got this assignment 
And I love how much I just, man, I miss Hale and Kenzie and how mm-hmm. this was, this episode really is a kind of precursor to the relationship that they'll eventually have. But that's, that's the part of their relationship that they'll always keep that friendship and, uh, push and pull between them. You know, Hale's trying to be all serious and do a job and Kenzie's just delightfully Kenzie. And I think that's, that's the dichotomy of Hale in this episode, right? We see him, they're trying to make him all like, oh, smooth talking the ladies at the doll again. But when we get into the storyline with Tori, we see how very seriously he actually does take his job. And when he makes a commitment to do something that he does take very seriously, it seems. Yeah. I do oh, find hell. the the flirting at the pool table a little awkward because they clearly did not want to pay those actors to have lines. So it's awkward <laughs> that they say nothing the entire scene. <laughs> they kind of <laughs> nod at each other a lot. Yeah, I was just noticing. I was like, oh, yeah, that looks kind of, I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that is what it's it funny is. what you notice. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, they did not want to pay those actors to be anything more than extras, did they? They'd have to pay more if they had a line. <laughs> Though I, I had a moment watching it this time where I'm just kind of like, they do not seem that into this. No, they really don't. Because <laughs> they're just kind of like nodding at each other. Just kind of smiling. It, it it gets to a point where it's just like, it feels a little awkward. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does. It's like, well, they're, they don't seem into it, but they're not walking away either. I'm not sure. What's happening <laughs> what am I supposed to be getting from this? I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. They're probably like, oh, thank God Dyson's here to, to occupy Hale. <laughs> We're actually on a date, the two of us. He doesn't seem to be getting the message. (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. But I feel like on rewatch, the big thing that I come out with with the the storyline with Tori is that her instructions that she came with were so dreadfully incomplete. (laughs) Okay, here's – I'm going to as – as the kids say, no, the kids don't say this. As Marvel nerds say, I've got a no prize for this. A, a what? A no a what? prize? A no prize. You have to explain this, Chris. Okay. So I don't know when this started, but probably back in the day when there were actually letter columns. Although I think they have letter columns again now. Anyway. What the um, hell are letter columns? Oh, no. Oh, is that something at the back of the comic book where people write in? Yeah, somebody writes in. Okay, Even I know what a letter column is. Okay, so this was like a whole thing where there'd be like, basically it was was a plot hole, right? Mm -hmm. There'd be a plot hole, and so somebody would write in, I don't know if it was Stanley who started doing this or who, but basically if you offered an explanation for something, you would get a, they called it a no prize. And I think actually for a while they were actually like mailing out empty en- envelopes or something. Hmm. There was like a it was it was a thing a no prize. It's a it's a phrase you'll hear from comic nerds. <laughs> so basically, it's it's an explanation for a plot hole that I just made up off the top of my head. Mm, okay, <laughs> okay. So Dyson was the one who was supposed to be watching her, right? Right. Dyson has watched her before, clearly, because he knew about all this stuff mm-hmm. and knew how to oh, yeah. jumpstart her heart. So this was just like the the Cliff's Notes version. Yeah, yeah. I of like real instructions. So they were But it just feels like Dyson is being a jerk friend by not giving Hale more information then, yeah, right? He is. <laughs> but then also, I mean it, it it carries on throughout the episode, right? Because he gives these incomplete instructions to Hale and then right. Hale doesn't even bother telling Kenzie about them. Mm-hmm. Aside from like she can't have any fun. That's right. too vague, Hale. It's mm-hmm. too yeah. vague. Yeah. <laughs> you are very empathetic about this point. <laughs> Vagueness is a no. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I am all about specifics and detail, so I get it. Because it just says no coffee, but it doesn't tell him why. And then the or fact what that to if- do if coffee is ingested. I know exactly. Mm. You'd feel like an overprotective mother. You would totally mother. be that parent with like the laminated emergency contact list and detailed instructions <laughs> on like what me to too. prepare for dinner, wouldn't you? Well, not me personally, but I feel like the glaze because would, you would never clearly, have children. I know. That t- yes, that is true. <laughs> but I don't even have that for my cats, if we're going to make that comparison. But I, I do. feel like the glaive would be that type of parent who have very specific instructions for her child. But maybe that and was maybe just... she did and gave them to Dyson, and, and then Dyson like them copied down. them poorly onto a three by five note card. <laughs> Fine. No, my, I'll accept by the way, it, my... Chris. <laughs> my cat instructions are a page and a half long. <laughs> I'm sure they are. No, they really are. <laughs> Anyhow, 
I, I I do kind of love the the exchange that Tori and Dyson have when he hands her over to Hale. I just really like the way he's like Tori Dyson. I just <laughs> yeah, they I say each other's gone. name. <laughs> it kind of cracks me up. <laughs> Can we talk about Kenzie for a second? Of course. This, to me, this episode is like peak Kenzie. Mm-hmm. There's the wigs, <laughs> the unnecessarily elaborate outfit. Can we talk for a second? Let me pause on the wigs. I love she has like a faux, faux hawk extension hair attachment. I don't know what to call that. She Except has, like, it a- just looks like, it looks like stylized bedhead. Yes. <laughs> And then she, for some reason, changes into a completely different wig. I love it. I love it also. It's I actually much prefer the pink wig myself. Oh, me too. Me too. It looks great on her. It does. She nobody, really rocks nobody pink hair. Nobody should look that great with that hair, but <laughs> but she does. But yeah, you have the wigs, you have the, the crazy outfits, and then you have like this uh, rebellious behavior going on. And encouraging the rebellious yes. behavior of others. Mm-hmm. It's what Kenzie and does. And then, because she's Kenzie, then things get way too out of hand, and then she panics about it, because <laughs> she is a rebel, but she's, like, a, a somewhat responsible rebel, I feel like. <laughs> she wants to have fun, but she doesn't want it to get too out of hand. <laughs> she doesn't yes. want anybody to get hurt, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd forgotten how much kind of classic Lost Girl stuff was in this episode because we have her line when she's panicking about things getting too out of hand where she's like, you know, coffee, it's not a beverage. It's a hug. (laughs) (laughs) And I love Hale's grumbling. How about Buenos Aires? No, I got a cousin of B.A. It's the only siren I knew was stone deaf. (laughs) Made my ears bleed. (laughs) <laughs> Hale has some really good lies in this episode. I also like when she's trying to put out the APB on Tori and Kenzie, and he starts to give a description of Kenzie, and he's just like, oh, her name is Kenzie. <laughs> and there being no dignity and getting puked on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is this the first time in the series that we see Casey's abs? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I thought. Hence Kenzie's reaction. She's like, I had no I idea you had that going on under those loose-fitting just, clothes. I literally, I just was like, I was counting. It doesn't matter how many times I see that. I'm like, <laughs> one, two, one, three, four, two, five, six, three, seven, four, eight. Six, oh, my God. Six, it really is eight. It's and I was picturing Annie as, like, the Count from Sesame but, Street. Uh, 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 yeah. One. One ab. Two abs. Two abs. I was doing it really fast because I didn't have it on pause. And I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, now six, I'm seven, eight. Annie pausing it on the ab shot. <laughs> three. Three abs. <laughs> Maybe I'll mention this to KC next time if I ever meet him again. <laughs> This is what we do now. <laughs> Counting his abs and laughing like the count. Eight, eight abs. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, no, wait, not ten. <laughs> Poor Casey. He doesn't so very so lovely. conscious about it, though. <laughs> yeah, as much as, as, them. as much as Hale is kind of like tolerant of Kenzie and sort of lets her cut loose a little bit with Tori. I think he actually makes a good point to her later on in the episode with, after, you know, Tori's passed out and they think she's dead, where he's saying, he's saying something like, you know, he, she wasn't somebody in trouble. It's not like she was, you know, being kidnapped or something. Her mom is just a jerk and has tough rules. And I was trying to do my job. And I was like, he makes a good point. You know, mm-hmm. he, he apologizes to her for being mean, but he makes a good point, I think, in that scene. But I think it's a very, it, it shows us, like, the different perspectives between Kenzie and Hale, because that's what Kenzie saw. She saw somebody like herself who she thought was being repressed and needed to cut loose a little bit, and, and Hale was just like, but that that's not really what was there. She's a very privileged, overprivileged person in the Fey world, and her mom is just strict, and I had a job I was trying to do. Which Kenzie probably picked up when picked up on when Tori tried to buy her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Reality check. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of forget. You're like, oh, yeah, we're so used to Lauren and Kenzie being integrated into the show. You almost forget about the fey human divide at times. And it's still it's it's weird for me to watch Lauren at this point in the series, because I tend to watch later episodes in the series sometimes when I rewatch these days about why Annie (laughs) shut up (laughs) bumping faces on faces and bits on bits. (laughs) 
about. There is a lot but, of bumping in season three. Bumping yes. faces. <laughs> now I but, just think of bow head buddy Lauren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not how I meant it. It was a gentle bump. <laughs> Like Labradors, you know how how dogs will like, you know, bump you to get your to get your attention. Like, why do you why do you stop petting me? Now that's yes. what I'm picturing. I feel like soft bumping needs to be a hashtag on Ao3 now or something. <laughs> oh, what kind of what kind of smut is it? Oh, it's just soft bumping. <laughs> Anyway, I think I think Stephanie said do it. <laughs> I'm there for the soft bumping. It's true. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of thing? Oh, the soft bumping. <laughs> but I keep forgetting how restricted Lauren was and how she had to like have field trips to get out from. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ashes compound and everything and how fearful she was of the ash and how she was living at that point in, the, you know, in the series and how she was under his complete control, which, you know, reinforces how, you know, it was part of the reason why she loved Bo so much, who could take as a person who not only she loved, but could take her away from this very stressful situation where she had no control over her life. Yeah, I, f- I was very much reminded that of that in watching this episode of it feels like in season two in particular, the human characters, especially Lauren, are starting to feel the weight of being humans in a fey world. And, you know, like you mentioned, we have Lauren having to sneak Bo into the compound and Dyson has to sneak her out of the compound. Lauren does a lot of sneaking in this episode. <laughs> Um, and But besides that, you know, you have the Lick who makes this really casual mention of how the Ash snatched Lauren up to work for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you as the viewer, you're, you're, you're listening and you're thinking, he, he, he made her a, a indentured servant. I mean, that's, that's not snatching her up. And, and yeah. you know, as we come to learn from the nail that is featured very heavily in this episode, he did that very manipulatively by cursing Nadia so that Lauren would stay and work for him. Yeah, and you're like, oh, he's like, oh, lucky dog. And I'm like, it wasn't lucky. He just took her whole, you know, he like treated her like a servant and gave her no choice. And, you know, but, you know, it again reminds the audience how, what, how, what a derogatory, you know, position Faye have on humans. They're just like, oh, you know, again, their food, their sustenance, their slaves, whatnot. And then you almost see it more in a more lighthearted sense. Not lighthearted, but at least Hale and Kenzie refer to it in a more lighthearted sense when the Lick's daughter tries to buy Kenzie. Not the Lick's daughter, the Glaive's daughter. Oh, excuse me, the, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, whoa, the Glaive's daughter tries to buy Kenzie. And what, the Lick and the Glaive have a daughter together? Whoa, that would be interesting. I missed that part of the episode, man. I know. <laughs> See, this is what happens when I haven't watched in a while. I invent whole new things. So, <laughs> or misspeak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they turn that moment where the where Tori offers to buy Kenzie into this lighthearted thing, but there's that moment also earlier in the episode where Tori comments on how, oh, she's never seen a human move so freely as Kenzie does. Mm-hmm. And Kenzie, she has this initial reaction to Tori where she kind of smiles at her proudly, but then she turns her head and her face really changes. She looks very distressed about it. it it's as if she she doesn't like to think about the fact that she's a human in the Fey world and what that could mean for her, but she has a moment where she's like, oh, that sounds terrible, the fact that mm-hmm. I'm the one who has the most freedom. Yeah, and I think Kenzie kind of almost forgets that at times yeah. because she really is in mm-hmm. a position of privilege, having Bo claimed her, but also having claimed her as the most famous of Fave being, you know, unaligned. And then we see how that weighs on Kenzie later in the series in season four. So, and know, I do wonder humanite. if if Bo had been aligned, if either the dark or the light would have tried to lay more of a claim on Kenzie. Or, mm-hmm. or try to exploit Kenzie because of Bo, if Bo had had an affiliation. It may, may not have happened. Right. Or, but it just or even put more pressure on Bo to get Bo to treat her more like the rest of them treat their humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But I always do love that moment at the end where Kenzie jokes with Hale, thank you, or semi-jokes with Hale, thank you for not letting her buy me. And Hale says, silence, human. And Kenzie slaps him and, uh, well, smacks his shoulder. And uh, Casey has that beautiful smile. He goes, ow! But I do love that moment also when Kenzie slaps Hale earlier in the episode. What'd you hit me for? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me she couldn't have coffee? <laughs> Poor Hale. I feel really well, bad for him this episode. He's just stressed out the entire time. <laughs> but stressed feels out. Like, because on I'm me. When they have that scene where he's like trying to negotiate Kenzie's uh, cost, if you will. Uh-huh. Like, she is not yours to sell, buddy. <laughs> mm, yeah. But it, I might be reading too much in this moment, but there's that moment with the Lick and Lauren and Bo where, you know, the Lick has forced Lauren onto a table and he's threatening to kill her and he has the knife to her throat. And Lauren just sort of closes her eyes, kind of in acceptance. And mm-hmm. always in that moment, I kind of feel like there's this this look that Zoe Palmer has where it almost is as if Lauren figured it would come to this eventually. She has this sort of quiet acceptance about it that makes me feel really bad for Lauren every time I see that scene. Yeah, me too. That scene has always fascinated me in terms of the choices Zoe Palmer made. And yeah, like uh, she's kind of almost been broken at this point. Like this is going to be my you know, the end of my life or my lot in life because I can't figure out how to get out. I have all, I'm one of the smartest people, but I can't figure out how to get out of this situation because I'm dealing with these uber humanoids who are so powerful. You know, she's already, as you say, resigned to her fate. Well, because it is a moment of like, legit, like, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. There is nothing she can do in that moment. Either Bo's going to save her or she's not. Yeah. There's nothing really Lauren can do there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a such a stressful moment in this episode. <laughs> yep. And me, I'm screaming every time. Oh, God, I don't know what the heck I was doing first time I watched it. I was very stressed. Very stressed. But but how dare you doubt Bo? I know. <laughs> that's true. Though I, I had forgotten when I was rewatching, I had forgotten that this was the first time we see Bo suck the chi for multiple people. Because when she makes that comment about, I'll just suck the chi from each of them individually. I was thinking in my Easy head, peasy. I was thinking in my head, Bo, just do all of them at once. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, this is the first episode when she does yeah. this. <laughs> she didn't know she could do that. I know. But that <laughs> similarly to let me introduce you to my girlfriend who is five feet to the right. And, you know, they were having this sneaky conversation about tactics about six feet away from the people they were trying to defeat. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Always, always happens. Yeah. It's like, they can still hear you. <laughs> always happens in TV shows. If the camera doesn't show them, they're not really there. <laughs> <laughs> can I talk to you in private? Walks two steps to the right. <laughs> <laughs> they can still hear you. <laughs> but we're in the corner of the room. <laughs> and, and there's softer lighting here, so it should be okay. Clearly. <laughs> that shadow will protect us. <laughs> it's a shadow of silence. <laughs> it's a sound dampening shadow. <laughs> yeah, the other part of this episode that kind of it unintentionally made me giggle. Maybe she was trying to be a little funny. I don't know. But after Bo has done her whole, you know, and there will be only me scene, and, you know, then the power starts to drain out of her, and then she faints. The little, like, flailing thing that Anastop does with her arms. <laughs> it's so cute. It makes me laugh. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> but as she's fainting, I'm just like, oh, Bo, that's so sweet. <laughs> I just like, again, the shirt, the shirt that Zoe Palmer is wearing. Oh, oh, the white shirt. (laughs) Yes, that one. (laughs) There are many good shirts in this episode. But yeah, the I, I, but I remember watching that, you know, on a rewatch and I was going, Oh, poor Bo. All the chi was just too much for her. Oh, she was such a young baby fay then. Yeah. Now it's like, ah, she could suck multiple chi. No, no, no problem. So yeah, but it kind of made, made her pass out the first time. And the second time, too, right? At the end of season two? Doesn't she pass out afterward? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So. so this was fun to watch again. I hadn't seen this episode in a while. I, I mm-hmm. do kind of feel like they maybe tried to cram a little too much in this episode. It feels like some of the scenes get cut a little short, but I, there's a lot to enjoy, I think, in this episode. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. 
Oh, me too. I, I actually had kind of forgotten that this was the same episode as Hale and Kenzie babysitting Tori. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had not forgotten. I love this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Annie. Because <laughs> I skip over the, to the document scene so much. So. <laughs> I know this episode. Don't. The rest of it's so great. It's so great. No, no, I, I do. I Kenzie do. dancing. Come on. I know. I love this show. I need to give it a whole rewatch someday. Yeah, I know. Me too. Well, we'd love to hear any thoughts that you have about this episode, as well as if you have any suggestions for what we might talk about now that we are back on track making episodes for this podcast. Sorry, we had an unexpectedly long hiatus. We had some life happening for both me and for Annie. And as y'all can probably imagine, our, our more limited podcasting time got devoted to shows that were currently airing rather than, sadly, Lost Girl, which is no longer putting out new episodes. But we we are doing better at scheduling now, and we are planning to put out episodes of this podcast more regularly. So if don't, you have, don't expect them frequently, yes, still, probably. True. But, but, uh, but probably it won't be a year between the next <laughs> this episode and the holy next Holy cow, has it been a year? Oh, it wow. really has. It was like June wow. 2016 was our last episode for this podcast. I was going to say, so. has it only been a year? I thought it was longer. A like, huh? year and a couple of months. year and a couple of months. Uh, but if you have any episodes you'd like for us to cover that we haven't covered, that you really would like to hear us talk about, let us know. We're trying to figure out what our schedule for this podcast is going to be. And yeah, so send us any feedback you got. We'd appreciate it. You can email us, feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can send us a voice message a couple of ways, record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us, or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Drinks of the Doll is part of the Ask a Genre TV family of podcasts. You can find our other podcasts about Orphan Black and Killjoys and a number of other things over at our website, askgenretv.com. Thanks so much for listening to Drinks of the Doll. Cheers. Cheers.